Were you picked? Were you chosen? It happens nearly every day on the playgrounds, the schoolyards in this country. It's time to play football. It's time to play baseball. It's time to play kickball. And the kids start to pick up, pick sides. And there's always that one kid or those one or two kids that they are the ones that everyone knows you want to be on that person's team. And you're just hoping that you're picked to be on that person's team. So were you picked? Were you chosen? Maybe you were the first to be picked. Maybe you were the last to be picked. But everyone wanted to be on that one person's team that they knew was going to win. When it comes to our lives, when it comes to the spiritual things in our lives, if, they, if it is possible to know that you have a sure victory, will you do it? Will you be on that team? Would you want to be on that team? We do face a battle in our lives every day, spiritually. And sometimes as we begin to face that battle, we may tell ourselves, there's no way I can win. But we need to remember that the battle belongs to God. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And as you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, you're going to immediately recognize this chapter as the story of David and Goliath. And as we look at this story, it's a story that many of us have studied many times in our lives, but as we look at this story today, I want us to think about how this battle develops and how David relies on God knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. And I want us to think as Christians today, as a church and as individuals, that we need to remember to rely on God, that the battle belongs to the Lord. That ought to be a moment of encouragement for us. Because at the end of the day, we get to say, I was picked by the winner. And as long as I stay on the Lord's side, I have a sure victory. By now you've turned to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want us to begin by looking at how things develop for this battle with David. Notice, first of all, how the scenario is developed for us in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 4. Now we'll start in verse 3. So the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Verse 4, then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had a bronze greaves on, on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. Now, as we first look at this, sometimes we are awed by the size of this individual. He's six cubits tall. A cubit was usually measured from a man's elbow to uh, his, the end of his index finger, typically around 18 inches. 
So this is a man that's well over six feet tall. This is a very tall man. This is an enormous man. And as we look at the measurements and the weights that are given here, we in modernity are awed by the size of this man. But the Israelites were awed by the fact that he had weapons of bronze and iron because the Israelites did not have that industry. If they wanted to fashion something out of bronze or iron, they had to go to the Philistines. They didn't have that technology. Things were against him as, as the writer of Samuel. First Samuel is writing these sayings. He's not merely writing to people that are ooh, awed by the fact that this guy is really big and tall, but also by the insurmountable challenge that was facing him, the weaponry that the Philistines had at their disposal. They were facing a very dark time. Israel was afraid to act. Look at verse 20. It says, so David rose early in the morning, <coughs> and he left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies which Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, and he ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, that, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel saw the man. They fled from him and were greatly afraid. Every day, this man would come up, and he would shout, look. Why don't you guys just come down and fight with me? Send me your champion. If I'm able to, if he defeats me, we will serve you. Uh, but if we defeat you, or if I defeat him, then the Israelites will serve the Philistines. And every day he was doing this. And Israel was so afraid that they would go and hide. They fled from him. Even though he's on the opposite side of the of the ravine. And no one was willing to take the challenge. No one was willing to take up the battle cry against him. Oh, they shouted a good game, but as soon as Goliath came, they were reminded of why they were afraid. Verse 24, they ran in great fear. And they tried to pump each other up by talking about what the king would give if anyone were able to actually go out and do battle with him. Look at verse 25. The, man of Israel, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. They tried to pump each other up by saying, Look, whoever goes out and actually kills this guy is going to get all these riches. So they spoke in general terms. Whoever does this, oh, look what he's going to get. But when it came to actually making an individual commitment, nobody wanted. Nobody wanted to take the challenge. It went on like this day after day after day. In fact, when you look in verse 16, we find out this has been going on for 40 days. 
Verse 16, the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Do you see what's going on here? Israel has a new king, and his name is Saul. I don't know how long Saul's been king, but it hasn't been a very long time. And if you remember, when Israel asked for a king, they said, we want a king that's able to go out and lead us to victory in the battle. And God had said to Samuel, okay, Samuel, that's what they want. You give them that king. He's going to do all these things. That's what it's going to be like to serve a king. Well, now they've got a king. And now they're lined up in battle. But for 40 days, they do nothing. They're at an impasse. They're scared. And for 40 days, here comes Goliath, and he says the same thing every day. Send out your champion, and if he's able to beat me, we'll serve you. There's no need for all these folks to die. Just send out your best champion. And I promise you, if he beats me, we'll serve you. But if I beat you guys, if I beat your champion, then you guys will serve us. But at least you'll still be alive. Not only are they looking at the size of Goliath and the weaponry he has, but they're looking at a Philistine army that has the same weapons, the same superiority of technology. They had numbers on their side as well. There was no way Israel would win this battle under any other means. And they knew it. And so here they are, and they're afraid. For 40 days, they're hearing this. For 40 days, their fear has gripped them. For 40 days, they have nothing to motivate them to go out to battle. And they're content with just looking like they're going to do something without actually ever doing anything. But here comes David. David, if we had time to read the entire chapter, we'd find out David was the youngest of, uh, of these brothers. The three oldest brothers are, are there in, in the king's army. And David's father, Jesse, says, David, I want you to take some cheese and some bread, and I want you to take it to your brother. And oh yeah, don't forget to take some to the commander of their unit as well, because that bodes well for them. And so here comes David. He's a little boy. I don't know exactly how old he is, but, but he's a young man. And he's bringing this, these supplies. And as he does that, he hears the challenge <coughs> from Goliath. And David says, what's going on here? Notice verse 26. David spoke to the man who was standing by, saying, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and who takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in, in accord with his words, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. And so David, he's a little guy, but, but he hears this, and he says, How can this guy get along taunting the armies that belong to God? What will be done for the person that goes out and kills him? And, and they give them the answers that they've been giving each other. Oh, the king will give him great riches. He'll get to marry his, the king's daughter. Uh, the king will make his family free in, in Israel. Sounds pretty good. David's oldest brother, Eliab, hears David and he thinks, well, look at this arrogant little preteen, maybe early teenager, going off in the mouth like this. Verse 28. 
Eliab, his oldest brother, when he heard him speak this way, his anger burned against David. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. You have come down in order to see the battle. But you see, David wasn't insolent. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't just wanting to see a good fight. In the first place, he was there because his dad sent him on a mission to give him food. But David is thinking, who is this person taunting the army of God's people? He's not placing the faith in himself. He's not placing his faith in the armies of Israel. He's placing his faith in God. Look what God can do. Verse 29, David said, what, what have I done? Was it not just a question? And he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. Now look at what happens in verse 31. It gets back to the king. Hey, we have someone that might step up against this Goliath guy. Verse 31, then the words of <coughs> which David spoke were heard, and they told them to Saul. <coughs> and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fell on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go out against the Philistine to fight with him, but for you are but a youth. Well, he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, and I went after him and attacked him and re rescued it from his mouth. When he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. So here's this great, here, here's an interesting scene, this great scene. Here's the king of Israel. He's not going out to battle against Goliath. Not sending any of his sons out to battle against Goliath. Not able to send anyone else from the armies of Israel out to fight Goliath. But here comes this little boy. David rec or Saul recognizes him as being just a little boy, or being a youth. He says, you can't go out and fight him. You're just a youth. Acknowledges David's age. But he's the only chance he has. Saul's not putting his faith in David. And even though David's given some good answers to Saul, I wonder if Saul's just really acting out of desperation. Okay, you want to suit up? Suit up. But David's answer is real. He says, God delivered the lion and the bear into my hand, and he'll deliver the uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. David's faith is in God. There's no way that a little boy is able to go out and fight this man who's a giant of a man, so well equipped with military equipment, so well versed in military actions and fighting. The king says he's been a warrior from his youth. This man knows how to kill people. He's an expert at it. And yet David says, with God's help, it is not impossible. And so what happens next is kind of interesting. 
The king says, okay, look, go and take my armor and go fight him. Verse 38, Saul clothed David with his garments and put on a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. David does something very wise here. He doesn't rely on the armor. He recognizes where his talents and abilities are not. And he takes off the armor. Yeah, this had to have been a comical scene. If David really was a young man, he's putting on a grown man's armor. And if it's accurate to say this was actually Saul's armor. Remember, Saul was a head, a head and shoulders above every other, everybody else in Israel, which means he himself was a big man. He was a Jew. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, yeah. But here's David, and he's putting on this armor from this large man, and he's just a youth, just a teenager. It must have fallen off of him. It must have looked ridiculous. And David says, I'm not going to use this. This isn't my talent. This isn't my ability. This isn't my equipment. I can't do this. And so he takes it off, and he relies only on God. <coughs> Verse 40, he took his stick in his hand and he chose for himself five small stones or smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, and put them in his pouch and his sling in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And interesting, he takes five stones, five smooth stones. Now, this is not a slingshot. We know what slingshots are today. This is a sling. It was an apparatus that you would twirl around your head, and then at the right moment, you would sling it, snap your wrist, and the stone would go flying. And that's what David had. That's what he was accustomed to using. And so David takes these stones, and he goes out, and he does what he is equipped to do. He does what he knows how to do, and that is to take these, these tools of a young shepherd and to take them out to battle. He did not put his faith in the armor which he knew nothing about. He put his faith in God. He used the abilities and talents that God had given him to go and to do battle. And he took action. He took the five stones he was prepared to use. He took his staff. And by faith, he acted. You see, David didn't just rely on his words, God can take this guy out and leave it at that but he combined his faith with action. And he used what God had given him, the talents he had, the abilities he had, the resources that God had given him, and he went out to do battle. Goliath, as you know from the story, comes out with great pride, and he's almost humiliated, shamed that uh, the Israelites would send a little boy to come and fight him. I mean, this little guy is not worth my time. He says, I'm going to feed your carcass to uh, the birds of the air. And David just lets all that fly by. He's not worried about the insults from Goliath. Instead, David says, verse 45, I come in the name of the Lord. Verse 46, the Lord will hand me over, or hand you over. Verse 46, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, the battle is the Lord's. Verse 47, he will give all of you into our hands. Over and over again in two verses, David gives 
the credit and his faith to God. God's going to do this. God's in control. God will give the victory. And so he goes out to battle. David saw the battle as belonging to the Lord. It wasn't just David against the champion to see what might happen. It was about God's sure victory over what was otherwise a superior force, a force which defied Israel, a nation that had ungodly practices, and a force which had tried to enslave Israel. But God gives Israel the victory. Verse 48, Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the Philistine battle line, or toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He put his hand into his bag and took, it, took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and, and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel arose, verse 52, and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Verse 54, rather, Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapon in his own tent, or put his weapons in his tent. When Saul saw that David was going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, Whose young man is this? He tells him it's Jesse of Bethlehem. But you see, the victory belonged to God because David depended on God, and he gives credit to God. He recognizes that God is able to deliver the Philistine into his hand, not just the Philistine, but the entire Philistine army. And so the Israelites overtook the Philistines in battle that day. God provided the victory. As a church, we face a battle in our lives as individuals and as a community of faith. How are we going to face those battles? We can face the battles by relying on ourselves. We can face the battles that we face by relying in things. Or we can rely on God. We can learn some lessons from David and how he encountered and conducted himself in this battle. Of course, the battle we face is not a physical battle, but it's a spiritual battle. <coughs> we live in a fallen world. Sin is all around us. We're inundated with images. We're inundated with songs. We're inundated with language. We're inundated with words. We're inundated with actions of a world that is godless and does not know God, does not seek to know God. It's not a surprise to us, as we mentioned in our Bible class this morning, when we see politicians engage in all sorts of activities that would make most everyone blush. And yet the world says, that's okay, seemingly. We look at corruption all around us. And the world says, that's just fine. And so there are critics of Christianity. Sometimes they're vocal in their hatred of Christianity. Sometimes there is a silent disdain. Again, as we talked about in our, in our Bible class this morning, uh, there are those that say, look, if you don't follow science, you must be foolish. And they maybe don't say that, but maybe they act that way. They treat us that way. 
And so there's that silent disdain. Sometimes our values are mocked. Why would you believe that this is wrong? Why would you uh, not put up with, with this type of, of behavior? Why aren't you tolerant? Sometimes there's this hostile indifference in the atmosphere around us. And so fear can prevent us from taking action, just like the Israelites for 40 days did nothing. As a church, we might follow into the footsteps of, of Israel who, who don't cross the ravine, who don't go to the battle because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection at work. We're afraid of friends and society rejecting us. And dare I say that sometimes we might feel comfortable trying to look like those around us. Sometimes we see the world as being better equipped to deal with the, the struggles of life. People are more educated in the past than they have been. Uh, we're more educated now than we were in the past as a society. And we, many view religion with contempt or skepticism. And, and so we don't know necessarily how to, to deal with those that are highly educated, we tell ourselves. People are already set in their religious views and not willing to consider anything different. I know what I believe. Some knocks on our door, wanting to peddle religion. Well, I know what I think. I know what I believe. I don't need to listen to you. And when we deal with people in our lives, the, our friends, people we work with, it's easy to fall in that same mindset. I don't want to interrupt their day. I don't want to interrupt their thinking. I don't want to infringe on, on what they already believe. There's no convincing them anyway, we tell ourselves. So oftentimes, we don't go to the battle line. We don't stand up for what are Christian values or beliefs because we don't want to disrupt anything, any relationships we might have. Sometimes we might tell ourselves, look, everyone in the United States has already heard the gospel anyway. Or they have access to it. Look, there's a church on nearly every street corner. If someone wants to go to church and find the gospel, they can do that. And so we tell ourselves, look, there's no reason for me to get involved. I wonder if we've lulled, been lulled to sleeping at the battle lines. The line has been drawn, and sometimes we're content, content to stay on our side. The building sometimes is our line. That's the ravine out there. There's no reason for me to come to the ravine, because if somebody wants to cross over peacefully and come, they can. And so we tell ourselves it's OK to do nothing. Be complacent. I wonder if the church of America today is like Israel. We're ready and complacent and satisfied to just stay where we are. And so that's where the church oftentimes finds itself today. But what about as individuals? As individuals, we face struggles in our lives. Sometimes our struggles are spiritual struggles with sin. Sometimes our spiritual struggles are in our, the depth of our knowledge uh, of God's word. But we face struggles. Maybe they're temptations. Maybe it's sin that recurs in our life. Maybe it's a challenge at, the, at, the, at, at work, in our jobs. Maybe the battle that we're facing is a battle we're facing with a family member that we're having conflict with. Maybe the battle in our lives are battles that have to do with greed and 
and envy and that sort of thing. Maybe it's the language that we tend to use when no one from church is around. There are a lot of battles that we can face in life. And we tell ourselves, there's no way I can win this battle. And sometimes if it were just us, just left up to us, we can't have that victory. And sometimes we forget, God is the sure victory. God has already given me victory. And if I rely on God, if I depend on God, He can give me the victory. A lot of times as Christians, what we do is we, we look around for Saul's armor and we, and we want to put on that armor uh, to protect ourselves. We want to rely on ourselves. We want to rely on somebody else. And we forget that God has already given us the victory. I need to rely on God. If I'm struggling with sin in my life, I can have victory by relying on God. If I'm struggling in my relationship with someone in my family or somebody that I work with, God can give me victory, has given me victory in that relationship if I rely on God. And so what do I need to do? I need to follow in the footsteps of David. David was not afraid to go to the battle, but David didn't depend on things that he could not use. He looked at the things that God had given him, and he was wise enough to know what he had been equipped with and how God had enabled him to use those things. And in our lives, we need to do the same thing. Instead of trying to rely on things that the world would use or what others around us would use, we need to recognize the talents that we have and the abilities that we have and rely on God. What does that look like? I need to go to the stream and get five stones, just like David did. I need to begin by spending time in prayer with God. I need to spend time with God and His Word. I need to assess the abilities and talents that God has given me and focus on those. I need to work on my patience in some cases. I need to work on my compassion in some cases. I need to work on my forgiveness in some cases. I need to remember that from God I've received both his patience, his compassion, and his forgiveness. I need to pick these things up and I need to take them with me and not be afraid to go into battle. The thing that David did was not simply rely on God, but he combined his faith with action. He took those stones with him, and he only needed to use one. But he took those things with him. He combined his faith with action, and he went to the battle. And sometimes we are held so far back by our fear or by our complacency, by our willingness to just sit back, that we do nothing. And the battle is lost. I need to combine my faith with action and run to the battle line and know that when I rely on God, God can give me the victory. God has given me the victory. Spend time with God in prayer. Spend time in God's Word.
practice the attributes that God has displayed and, and has listed for us in Scripture that we as Christians ought to have. And when we do those things, we'll find that God gives us the victory. Is there a struggle in your life? Is there a battle in your life? God can give you the victory in that battle if you will rely on Him. If that's where you're at this morning, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.